This is part one of our conversation with Dr. Jim Greer on Boyd and his patterns of conflict. Part two will be available next week. Too often, as we do with many things, we, we take the easy road, we pick up on the oodaloo, and we fail to understand that it's just part of the way that he's thinking about warfare and part of the way that we need to think about warfare. Greetings and welcome to The Operational Arch, the official podcast of the School of Advanced Military Studies, dedicated to bridging the gap between tactics and strategy through the study of operational art and the operational level of war. I'm Major Josh Bedingfield, here alongside Major Kelsey Kurtz. We'll be your hosts today. Our guest today is Dr. Jim Greer. Dr. Greer is currently a professor at SAMS. He served 30 years in the U.S. Army, commanding at all levels from platoon through brigade. He served as the director of SAMS and is a veteran of six combat tours in Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, and the Balkans. Dr. Greer retired as a colonel. He holds a doctorate in education from Walden University, is a graduate of the National War College and the Advanced Military Studies Program in 1990. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Uh, yeah, 1990 seems like a long time ago. Yes. I only say that because you've been a SAMS graduate for almost as long as I have had an opportunity to, to walk around. So I'm in awe just because I feel like I'm going to learn something that I didn't even know to ask today. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So we had a heck of a time trying to figure out what to talk to you about. Uh, we've recorded several episodes, and it seems as though regardless of who we talk to, they all mention their impact or the impact that you have had on their own journey through the study of operational art. You've been doing this for a very long time. You're a noted contributor to the study of design. You run the Futures program here at SAMS, uh, a fellow sci-fi nerd, I might say. So uh, that's awesome. I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, and you also know the theorists that we go through at SAMS better than most through sheer exposure to them. But one of those theorists that you know more than most on is Boyd and his contribution as an air power theorist to the study of war. We're going to talk to you about what the military practitioner needs to know about Boyd, maybe why we tend to get stuck on his concept of the OODA loop, and how we should be thinking about how Boyd thought about conflict and the interrelated systems at play in his thoughts. So... First question, or kind of just opening opening comments, what what do you think Boyd would say about the study of operational art? Sure, um, I'm going to start off slightly differently from the standpoint of why uh, John Boyd is important to me. I was a uh, young captain, and I had the opportunity to go to the Marine Corps' advanced course, what was then called Marine Amphibious Warfare School, is currently called the Marine Expeditionary Warfare School. And like most who are selected to go to another service school, I'd done well as a lieutenant and as a young captain, qualified my tank multiple times, uh, good rotations in training, thought I was super. And I got to the Marine Amphibious Warfare School, and early on, this old, retired Air Force colonel came to talk to us about operations. And 
I went into that class not knowing what to expect, but frankly, not ready to be impressed. And about eight hours later, John Boyd finished going slide by slide through his patterns of conflict, and I realized how little I actually knew about my profession. His ability to integrate history, theory, doctrine, practice was orders of magnitude greater than mine was. And frankly, I was personally embarrassed that I didn't know as much as he did about land warfare because that's what he was talking about primarily. So I resolved at that point to, to learn more. And eventually that, in fact, led me to Sam's and to where I am today. So my intellectual journey uh, in the Army to a great extent started with that initial presentation by John Boyd. I had the opportunity to take an elective with him where I learned even more, uh, engaged with him multiple times uh, in the coming years, and it always had a great impact on me. So having said that, I think one of the challenges that he had was to a certain extent he was ahead of his time. So the idea, the concept of operational art as we know it today did not yet exist. The Russians had their version of operational art, but the U.S. Army, uh, which led the U.S. Joint Force in operational art, didn't begin to emerge until the early 80s, and the first time I met him was in 81. So what we call operational art back then, uh, Boyd would have called grand tactics. He did a remarkable job of describing how to excel in tactics in conflict and then in strategy in conflict, and he used the concept of grand tactics to marry the two, uh, not too dissimilar from the way that we use operational art to connect strategy and tactics today. So I believe that were he asked today, much of his description of operational art would have been the way that he described grand tactics. So given that he was talking about this using a phrase we might find in other eras of history, grand tactics, um, how might we understand the cognitive journey that one takes given the information that he had available to him to come to a conclusion that there's this intervening level between tactics and strategy in the absence of a doctrinal recognition of the term? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. And one of the things that Boyd brings us is not just what his theories are, but actually how to think about conflict and how to develop a theory. It's one of the reasons that I stress to my students that they should read Boyd slide by slide. Uh, it's one of the reasons that I've been uh, pushing that on Twitter is because when you read the way that he thinks and the way he articulates what he's thinking, he very much uses a dialectic approach. Analysis where he takes things apart and then synthesis when he puts them back together again. And then 
he uses those two to basically develop a new idea. And in the case of strategy and tactics, he takes strategy and tactics apart, and then he puts them back together again. And when he does, he creates something new, which is a new approach to warfare. At least it was new to me back then. Uh, today, much of what he developed has been incorporated in some way, shape, or form into joint Army doctrine, Marine Corps maneuver warfare, certainly. And so he creates this something new, and in the case of what we call operational art, that something new really was grand tactics. So in his work, Boyd is most recognized for the the OODA loop. I think as a young lieutenant, I was familiar with the OODA loop without really understanding the grander theory behind it in this, this slideshow. What do you see us getting right about the concept, and maybe what are we missing when we talk about it? Yeah, um, and I think that's a challenge to us cognitively as as a military and national security professionals. He was very clear always that the OODA loop was really a point of departure. He even starts patterns of conflict with a point of departure, and he describes the OODA loop as it was derived from aerial combat. And then he uses that point of departure, the idea of an observation orientation decision action cycle, uh, to then troop lead us cognitively through the development of his approach to conflict and his approach to warfare. Too often, as we do with many things, we, we take the easy road, we pick up on the OODA loop, and we fail to understand that it's just part of the way that he's thinking about warfare and part of the way that we need to think about warfare. Uh, if we stop at the OODA loop, we are selling ourselves short and we're selling the, the force short because there's so much more in his theory that we need to think about and be able to interpret for warfare in the 21st century. How might you link the military's desire to view the OODA loop as a standalone process rather than a point of departure? And maybe another process that might look a little similar, like understand, visualize, describe, and direct. Uh, that's a good question. Um, and I do think that there perhaps is a similarity in the way that you approach those things. For example, visualization, visual, visualize as, as a leader requirement, has meaning to the extent that we're able to actually develop the skills that are necessary to visualize and be able to ins insert that visualization within the context of an operation, a mission, a scenario. The same is true of each of the parts of the OODA loop. It's not just orientation, but it's orientation within a strategic context, uh, within an operational context if you're talking tactically, or even within a tactical context if you're talking about a single individual. Uh, one of the things that he does later on in his career is take the simple OODA loop and expand it out. And most of the expansion is in the orientation uh, dynamic within the OODA loop uh, to the point that it accounts for the kinds of things that we talk about when we're looking at PMEC PT. Uh, those things that have to do with politics, that have to do with uh, social uh, 
uh, organizations with culture, et cetera. And so he wants the orientation to be very, very rich. How we think about the context is so important. Uh, and I think that's one of the ways that you can relate that understand, visualize, describe, dis direct uh, requirement with the OODA loop. But again, both of those are, again, just a point of departure because a leader's responsibility is much more than simply understanding visualization, et cetera. Yeah, so you mentioned the, the Twitter treaties that you've been running on Boyd's Patterns of Conflict. And for anybody listening, I'm going to highly encourage you to subscribe to Dr. Greer and give him a follow because it's a master class on how to use just how to think about thinking about what Boyd was doing. But, you know, in this slide deck, which is one of the most monster presentations I think you can come across uh, aside from maybe some of those token ones you saw floating around the internet in Afghanistan, uh, and far clearer than those. There's so much in there that is so overlooked, right? So you get Boyd's OODA loop as a lieutenant, and you're in a tank, and you're like, oh, i got to OODA loop my way through this, this battlefield. And then we don't re-engage it effectively, which I think is one of your core arguments on there. It's like, what are we missing in the broader context of thinking about Boyd? that comes at the cost of that easy answer of the OODA loop. Yeah, and um, I think to a certain extent we're, what we're missing is cognitive leadership. And a leader, whether that's a platoon leader, brigade commander, corps commander, uh, has a responsibility for cognitive leadership and the cognitive development of their subordinates. and. The thing about Boyd's uh, presentation and where it's so different is he never wrote a book. Almost any other theorist writes a book, and he never does that. Instead, he does it as this series of slides, and you can open up to any slide, and any single slide would make a whole hour, two-hour, day-long LPD on the subject. Uh, I brought my copy that I got personally from him on a discourse on winning and losing. And if you just randomly pick one, and in this particular one, he's talking about the German concept of mission as a contract, an agreement, and he's tying that to Auftrag's Taktik. And the idea that Auftrag's Taktik then leads to agility, and it leads to the ability for an organization, a formation, to be able to fight under conditions of uncertainty, of volatility, uh, and be able to overcome a loss of communications with hire, all of those kinds of things. And so you could take that single slide right there, and you could then take your subordinates, your, your leaders, say if you were a battalion commander, you could take all of your officers and, sen and senior NCOs and go out on a piece of terrain and do a terrain walk and talk about how important Alftrag's tactique is, how important mission orders are in our parlance, mission command, uh, to be able to weave your way through and be successful in these incredibly complex, chaotic, uh, and uncertain context of military operations. And you could spend all day doing that. And that's the great thing about his presentation. And unfortunately, 
It's what we don't do enough of, and we need to do more of that. We need to teach ourselves to be able to think in the way that he thinks, but more importantly, be able to translate that into leader development and education and training so that the force is able to adapt to and overcome things like surprise or overwhelming forces or whatever it happens to be. And that's, I, th I think, the power of his presentation as opposed to just writing a book that you read. Yeah, and sir, I think that's where the brilliance of you leading this conversation on Twitter comes in, because as you highlighted in your discussion, Boyd's presentation was never meant to be a compilation of doctrine. It was meant to be a, dis uh, a discussion, a series of conversations with attempt to explore the connections, the anomalies, the advantages and limitations of various types of concept and to encourage those discussions um, as a maverick thinker within the military art. And it really reminds me of a reading we did here at Sam's at the beginning of the school year, Olivia Grand and her deconstruction of Clausewitz's military theory in a way that is accessible to students of operational art or tactics. She encourages her users to draw cartoons or to draw sketches in the margins of her book as a way to make these concepts and ideas more accessible to new leaders, platoon leaders, uh, and, and below. And you're doing the same thing, encouraging that discussion and that discourse. No, I... What, I, what I'm really stuck on is thinking about the perspective of the study of war from like a junior practitioner's perspective. So I, I would lie and say that I don't see utility in giving a junior leader the OODA loop. I think there's value in just that concept. Uh, but as a, somebody who's been exposed to a little bit more theory later on in my career, I say I also think it's very hard to argue against what you just brought up, that Boyd's arguing for cognitive leadership, right? An, an approach that begs us to explore, dissect, and build new concepts. And I am would love to hear your thoughts on if there's value, and we can agree that there's value in cognitive leadership, and if Boyd's doing such a good job of showing us what that looks like, why might there still be reticence for us to look at that and say, I need, I need, we need more, more of this. Where's, is there a trade-off there? Is there, is the, is it too big of a challenge? Or is it easier for us just to rely on the more scientific aspects of his theory and maybe leave the more complex things to people who have time and or intrinsic motivation to parlay through them on their own time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, let, let me approach it from a couple of different ways. Uh, the first one is, as an army, we're often scared of the intellectual. We're scared of the cognitive challenges. Um, it takes confidence to be able to take on theory, and it takes competence to be able to translate theory into action. But it can be done. So I left the Amphibious Warfare School uh, where I learned uh, not just Boyd but also uh, maneuver warfare from some 
great instructors, uh, Colonel Mike Wiley, now retired uh, at the Marine Corps, who taught me uh, maneuver warfare tactics. Uh, Bill Lind, the author of the Maneuver Warfare Handbook, who taught the theory of maneuver warfare. And I went out to a cavalry troop uh, on the then east-west German border during the Cold War. And I taught Boyd to my troopers. And I taught maneuver warfare to my troopers, to the second lieutenants, to the sergeants first class, to the specialists who were 19 Delta scouts. They were tankers. They were uh, logisticians, a couple of radiomen. And then we went out to Reforger. And they were able to do it. They were able to make decisions on their own. They were able to, uh, in Reforger, which is a huge multi-core exercise, they were able to not only overcome uncertainty on their own, but be able to create uncertainty in the minds of those that they were fighting. And the things that Boyd emphasizes, veridity, variety, rapidity, ambiguity, initiative, they were able to do all of those things because the American service men and women are smart people. And if we give them the ideas, they will translate those into action. And we just need to give them those ideas. We just need to share that with them. Does it take a day or, a co or two? Sure. But the enterprising company troop, battery commander, battalion commander can find a day or two in the schedule to be able to intellectually educate their organization. And that's incredibly powerful. And we do it so rarely. Uh, one of the central themes of Boyd is physical, mental, moral, that all warfare exists in those three realms. Our tendency as an army is to focus on the physical realm. Again, going back to my experience before I met him, I was superb at fighting a tank and leading a platoon and fighting a tank or maneuvering from one piece of the, the box out at Fort Irwin to another uh, piece of it. But those are all physical things. I was not an expert in the mental aspects of warfare, and I certainly wasn't an expert in the moral aspects of warfare. But what Boyd is doing is, to him, those three are all equal. And they're all an integral part of how you actually win, whether that's at the operational level, and yes, there is one, uh, or it's in tactics and strategy. And so right now, our doctrine is heavily weighted to the physical, even though it admits the existence of the information, read in Boyd's terms, mental uh, dimension and the human, read in Boyd's terms, moral dimension, but it doesn't treat those three as all equal. It treats the physical as preeminent, and I'm not sure that's right. So I've opened up my notes from Boyd so I can refresh as I'm listening and uh, throw the script out the window because you stole it too. So on my notes here, I have, you know, my depiction of 
Boyd's origins on, on discourse. And I imagined it as a triangle with the mind, space, and time representing a point of the triangle and then each of the legs, the mental, the moral, and the physical. Um, he also said that war is a human endeavor ended for moral purposes. So going back to your your vignette about reforger and terrain walks, you know, terrain does not fight wars. Machine do not fight wars. Human fights wars. Given the terrain and machines, humans still have to make the decisions and attempt to interrupt the decision-making process of their, their adversaries. Lately, as we assess either current conflicts in Europe or future potential conflicts in Indo-PACOM, we look a lot at terrain and technology to wait out how those might play. Can you speak at all um, as to will to fight and how that calculation maybe should be incorporated into doctrine and military frameworks in the modern context as influenced by Boyd? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and one of the things I would note is uh, Boyd was he was an Air Force fighter pilot. He uh, taught at the tactics school. He had a significant hand in developing the F-15 and the F-16. So he was not adverse to technology, but rather he was looking for balance. And I would suggest that the idea of the mental, moral, physical is not a new idea. Thucydides' fear, honest, honor, and interest is mental, moral, physical. Uh, Fuller specifically said physical, mental, moral. Clausewitz, of course, had the trinity. Uh, and Schneider, more recently, one of uh, our theoreticians here at SAMS, talked about destruction, disorganization, disintegration, which again is physical, mental, moral. So it's not a new idea. But one of the things that Boyd champions is the idea that the most powerful way to attack a force is to attack its will, to menace it, to create uncertainty, to create fear, so that the system disintegrates because the individuals are unable to cope with that fear, that isolation, uh, that menace. And so it's important from his perspective that in the design of campaigns and major operations that we go after the will, that we attack the moral just as much as we attack uh, the physical. And he used this example of campaigns like the Mongols, uh, where the Mongols very much had an approach of attacking not just physically but using what today we would call information operations to actually attack the morale and the will of an enemy force before they ever made contact. Uh, and that's very important. Um, and it remains important today. And the difference is today we have so many tools and we have so many different options to be able to go after the physical and the mental and moral. Uh, and we don't, and in this case when I say we, I mean we, the United States, military establishment, we don't take advantage of those to the extent that we could. One of the things that I observe as I uh, watch what's going on in Ukraine is I believe the Ukrainians have an innate ability to connect the physical and the mental and the moral. Uh, when they 
make attacks, they highlight uh, the destruction of that attack. They highlight uh, who was killed, and they use social media and other means to sow fear uh, and to attack the will of their opponent. And every time they see a crack in the armor of the Russian armed forces, for example, maybe a letter from conscripts uh, back home that says that our leaders aren't taking care of us, we're not getting fed, we're not getting the ammunition that we need, we're being given orders without knowing what to do. That example of the will cracking, they then highlight it and sp spread it around and share it. And it's, it's the Ukrainians attacking the will just as much as they're firing artillery shells in the physical. This has been an official publication of the School of Advanced Military Studies. The views and expressions heard here are those of the authors and do not reflect the official position or opinions of SAMS, the U.S. Army, or the U.S. government. Stay up to date on all things SAMS and the Operational Arch by following us on Twitter at US underscore SAMS. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to or follow the podcast. Additionally, if you have recommendations for an episode, send any proposals to operationalarch at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.